show. So a couple of nights ago, Andrea um, spoke uh, beautifully about the seven factors of enlightenment and set the stage. And, and she also spoke about the first factor, um, sati, mindfulness. And, uh, and tonight, um, it's my privilege to speak about investigation. And uh, if there is energy, I'll also speak about energy, which is the third, fa- the third factor. So, um, investigation. Why do I say it's my privilege? Because investigation is, as a factor, is pretty close to my heart, actually. Um, my adult career has been as a scientist, as a researcher. And that factor of investigation and curiosity has been um, an integral part of my life. Um, curiosity, questioning, asking questions. It's been the bread and butter of, of, of what I've done for many, many years. Um, and it's interesting because my, my mind is such that it delights in being curious. I, it's like my mind is like the perennial four-year-old. Um, it just keeps asking questions, which sometimes can drive people crazy, ask my partner. Um, so so uh, here's a nice quote I found from Claude Levi Strauss, a, an anthropologist, a scientist. The scientist is not a person who gives the right answers. He's one who asks the right questions. So investigation really is about asking questions, asking the right questions. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight in the Dharma context. So tonight's talk is um, as follows. First, we'll talk about what investigation is, um, how it relates to the other factors, what investigation is not also, and then how to apply it in our practice, where to apply it in our practice, and how to apply it in our practice. So let's, let's begin by placing it a little better. Again, once again, just to remind us where it sits in the factors. So it's the second factor of the seven factors of awakening. And the seven factors of awakening in Pali, the term is bojangas. I kind of like that name, bujangas, bujanga, like jingles, bujangas. It's like, it makes me happy, bujangas. They're the seven factors of awakening, bujangas. Just say that to yourself, bujangas. See if it makes you happy, bujangas. Makes me happy. So as, as Andrea was saying, the bujangas are... <laughs> I have to say that a few more times in this talk. <laughs> They, uh, they are a Dharma perspective. They're, they are really a framework. They're frameworks, the, the seven. I have to be careful now saying <laughs> bujangas. <laughs> it brings up joy, doesn't it? Which is one of the factors, PT. <clears throat> so... Um, it's, it's a framework that points towards freedom. And um, there are a couple of ways to hold and understand, uh, hold this understanding. So, so one way is that, um, one way is from the um, Sutta Pitaka in the Samyutta Nikaya, where, where the seven factors of awakening refer to wholesome uh, mundane factors leading awakening. So these are factors that lead to awakening. This view is also presented, this understanding of the seven factors is also presented in Samyutta Nikaya, uh, in the Bhikkhu Sutta, uh, Sutta Nipata 46.5, for those of you who like sutta studies, you can look it up later. Venerable Sir, it is said that factors of awakening, factors um, of enlightenment, Let's see. It is said, factors of enlightenment, factors of enlightenment. In what sense are they called factors of enlightenment? The Buddha says, 
they lead to enlightenment bhikkhu. Therefore, they are called factors of enlightenment. So that's one way to, to see them, that they lead to awakening. Their cultivation leads to it. And another way that is also presented in the Abhidhamma and in the Pali commentaries, which came later uh, later on, um, they tend to refer to supramundane, so th- these higher, not the mundane, not the what we can experience in daily life when we can and we can um, um, cultivate in our practice, but. But in Abhidhamma and, and the Pali commentaries, they refer to supramundane factors concurrent with enlightenment. So they are there when, when awakening occurs. So I just present both of these ways of holding them. And we don't have to choose one or the other. And, and, and in fact, the, the, the first way of holding, and, and actually both are true they're both are correct right first one um, leads to that the first understanding that these factors lead to awakening um, they um, it, it also includes the second understanding that these factors are there when when the mind um, opens up to uh, to nibbana another advantage of the second understanding is that these factors, these seven factors can be um, cultivated both in formal practice and in daily life because they're mundane factors. So you can, while, while you are living your daily life, you can be cultivating more mindfulness and more investigation, etc., etc., so just to review the factors, there is mindfulness, sati, as, um, as Andrea talked about. There is investigation, or dhamma vichaya, investigation of dhammas, which we'll talk more about t- tonight. There is energy, or virya, also translated as determination, and a few other words that... Um, Again, if there is time and, and energy, we'll talk about them tonight. And energy, I'm talking about my energy. We'll see how, how it goes. Um, there is joy or rapture, piti. There is relaxation or tranquility, pasadi. Concentration, samadhi. And equanimity, opeka. And as Andrea um, spoke about them, they flow one into another, one flows into another, and each one supports the next one. And also as we engage and cultivate the first three, then the other four arise on their own, so we don't so much um, work to arise, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. They, They arise after the first three, the mindfulness, investigation, and energy are cultivated. I also wanted to mention the way that um, one way that Venerable Analyo teaches the seven factors and how they lead to one another, how they combine. Um, so one way that he teaches them is actually quite elegant. So he invites the practitioner to investigate with energy, two factors so far, and apply mindfulness to see the absence of a hindrance. Okay, so, so let me repeat. So basically the object here is to see the, if, to, to, to check the mind to see if a hindrance is absent. And how that's done when you're checking to see when you're questioning, right? That questioning is investigation, right? You're doing it with some energy, with some brightness in the mind, right? That's energy. And then mindfulness is being mindful. Is that, is hindrance there? Is the hindrance not there? If the hindrance is not there, that will naturally lead to the next factor of awakening, which is joy. There's a sense of delight. There's this pity. Ah, the hindrance is not present. 
ah, it's absent. That joy then leads to tranquility, to pasadi, to relaxation, and that leads to concentration, and then that, that leads to equanimity. So I offer this just for, for your consideration as another way that, that these could be um, taught and worked with. So in the Samyutta Nikaya, in the Fire Discourse, um, which I like to read parts of it to you, because it talks about the balancing of these factors, because three of these factors are the energizing factors. The, 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 um, uh, the, the actually, uh, um, so mindfulness, so if you think of them as a, as a seesaw, mindfulness is what keeps all the factors in balance. Mindfulness in the, is in the middle. And then on each side, on one, on one side, you have the energizing factors. You have investigation, energy, and rapture, or joy. And on the other side, you have tranquility, you have concentration, you have equanimity. So a lot of times our practice actually becomes about balancing these factors. And a lot of times when, when yogis come into, into a practice meeting, sometimes I'm trying to figure out whether these seven factors are in balance or not. If the person is really agitated, if there's a lot of agitation in the mind, then trying to calm, trying to, to bring up more calm, settling the mind, concentration, settling the body, etc. If, if there is too much um, calming, if the mind, for example, getting into, could be sloth, torpor, or could be, <coughs> excuse me, if, <coughs> if the mind is feeling dull, there's not a lot of energy, then, then one thing to do is to bring up the energizing factors. For example, investigate uh, with more clarity, try to see with more clarity, um, for example. I'll talk more about these later. So I'd like to share with you uh, part of the, the uh, fire discourse. At such times, monks, as the mind is sluggish, that is the wrong time to cultivate the enlightenment factor of tranquility, the enlightenment factor of concentration, the enlightened factor of equanimity. What is the reason? A sluggish mind is hard to arouse by these factors. As I read, see if you see your own mind in the description. And there's some beautiful, um, a beautiful simile um, that, that's coming right up. So, so sit with that. See how that feels uh, in the felt sense. Suppose a man wants to make a small fire blaze. If he heaps wet grass, wet cow dung, and wet sticks on it, if he exposes it to wind and rain and sprinkles it with dust, can he make that small fire blaze? No, indeed, Lord. Just so when the mind is sluggish, is it the wrong time to cultivate the enlightenment factors of tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, because a sluggish mind is hard to arouse through these factors. But monks, when the mind is sluggish, that is the right time to cultivate enlightenment factor of investigation of states, the enlightened factor of energy, the enlightened factor of rapture. What is the reason a sluggish mind is easy to arouse by these factors? Suppose a man wants to make a small fire blaze. If he heaps dry grass, dry cow dung and dry sticks on it, blows on it with his mouth and does not sprinkle it with dust, can he make that fire blaze? Yes, indeed, Lord, etc., etc. You get the picture. So the, the simile, and, and see that in your own mind when, when there's a fire going on in your mind and you want to, to calm it and soothe it. What would be the right factors? What, what's, what's appropriate to bring in? So, what is Dhamma-vichaya? What is investigation? It has been translated as discrimination of Dhammas, truth-discerning wisdom, investigation of states, and self-correcting intelligence. There is a beautiful little story of how 
Dhamma-vichaya relates also in its function to the other um, seven factors. And this is from the questions of King Melinda. And these are stories um, that were compiled in the first century BC. And it's, it's a famous work of Buddhist lit- literature and it presents, the book presents Buddhist doctrine, doctrine in very attractive and memorable dialogues between a Bactrian Greek king, Melinda, who plays the devil's advocate, and the Buddhist sage, Nagasana. So the king says, Venerable Nagasana, how many kinds of wisdom are there? Seven, O king. And by how many kinds of wisdom does one become wise? By one, that is to say, by the kind of wisdom called the investigation of dhammas. So the seven wisdom series, the seven factors of enlightenment. Why then is it said that there are seven? Tell me, O king, suppose a sword was lying in its sheath and not taken in the hand. Could it cut off anything you wanted to cut off with it? Certainly not. Just so, great king, but the other kinds of wisdom, by the other kinds of wisdom, can nothing be understood without investigation of dhammas. So, the quality of the investigation is one of curiosity, questioning, reflection, inquiry. And reflection and inquiry, right now I'm throwing them in the same chapter, in the same basket, even though they have slightly different qualities and different ways to engage with them. But they're all under the basket of questions, really, that, that spirit of, of, of questioning. So the questions could be, what is this? What is going on? What is nature of awareness? And it's really a direct experience of what is going on. It's not so much an intellectual uh, questioning, this investigation. It's about seeing things as they are. And it's very intimate. It's close. It's really, it's exploring in a very intimate way, not in a heady way from the control tower, but really exploring with, with all of our being, with dropping in the question into our bodies, into our hearts. It's, it's that kind of a questioning. It's not thinking about, oh, this led to that, and I should have done this, and what happened to that. It's not that kind of a questioning. It's really dropping in the question. It's dropping in the question. What is this? What is going on? What is this? There is a lot that there are many, um, many applications there, there are many many applications for this investigation so an inv- investigation is a tool really that can be applied to many many different in many different ways so it can be applied to the four noble truths where you can ask where is where is the suffering where where is suffering where am i suffering where am i caught so I actually engaged with this question yesterday morning as I was sitting in the dentist chair on my day off. That's how us Dharma teachers spend our day off in very exciting ways. So um, the crown that I have had cracked and was leaking and basically was an emergency uh, appointment to, to repair this. And I don't know about you, but I've had a long history of going to the dentist even since I, ever since I was a little kid and I don't know how many cavities I had, I've had. So there's been a lot of history of, it, of me and dental work um, and not always pleasant, Vedana, so to say the least. Um, and, and just to make matters worse, last year I had to, to, to take all the amalgams I had, I don't know, 15, 16, I don't know how many I had, and take them all out and replace them with, with non-amalgam 
non-mercury filling. So, so anyway, so there's been some recent history. And so yesterday as I was sitting in the chair, I realized, um, oh, oh, just to add one more thing. Okay, just to add one more thing. So I also, it, it so happens that I need a lot of Novocaine more than usual. And there's been some situations in the past where I, I forgot to tell the dentist and I got the regular load and in the middle of the, the whatever they're doing, there was a lot of pain, so we had to stop and get more Novocaine. One last thing is that if you take a high load of vitamin C, Novocaine doesn't work as well. And yesterday morning, accidentally, I had taken a big dosage of vitamin C. So all of this was going through my mind yesterday, sitting on the dentist's chair. And, I re- and I, all of a sudden, as, as he's drilling, I'm noticing I'm miserable. I am so unhappy. Like, so I dropped in the question, what is going on? What is going on in this moment? what's going on? So I realized, given all the history that I told you, I was bracing myself. My body was so tight. I was waiting for the next moment to really hurt. Because the present moment was okay. Novocaine was actually working in that moment. There was nothing wrong. It was fine. But I was bracing myself so hard, waiting for that next moment of pain. When I saw that, (sighs) <sighs> relaxed, softened, let go. My body softened on the chair. And it was okay. There was, there was really no problem. There really was no pain. It was all okay. It was really okay. I started to meditate. I started to feel... Act- I started to enjoy this not having to do anything. I mean, I was kind of like sitting there. You know, I didn't have to prepare a Dharma talk or, you know, anything. It was just like I was sitting there. It was actually quite peaceful. There was a little bit of pressure here and there, but it wasn't painful. It was fine. It was fine. So where the suffering was, was in the expectation of pain in the next moment, which I'm happy to report never happened. So, but I was miserable. I was so miserable. So what's going on? What is this? What is the source of this suffering? Why? Drop that in sometimes. And let, let your body answer. And in this case, my body answered. It was just tight. It was so tight. You can apply investigation to the second noble truth. To, to, to investigate dukkha and, and the tanha, craving. So you can either open up to see the in the craving, in the tanha, to see the dukkha in the tanha, to see the suffering in the craving. That's one interpretation, that they're actually the same. They're linked. They're not different. The same, the same wanting. You really, really want that banana that somebody just took. You, know, you really, really want that. Oh, actually, in, right there is the suffering in that wanting. Or another interpretation is that 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 wanting, that tanha, that craving, gives rise to suffering. Again, see that in your own experience. See if they're the same or different, or maybe in some occasions they, they're, there's one or the other. But drop that in. Drop that into your investigation. Try to see. Be curious. Be curious about that experience. Investigate. You can apply investigation to the third noble truth. Where is freedom? Where is freedom in this? Where is freedom in this? And that questioning, that way of seeing it, can, can help you open up to letting go. Seeing where you're caught, seeing where you're, where you're tight. Can be applied to the fourth noble truth. What is path and not path? I don't know if you've gone for walks up the hill. There is, there's, a, there's a few stairs up um, the hill right, um, right below the gate. And as you walk up, there are signs that say, not a path, right? And a few years ago, some creative yogis had created secondary signs under and put it under them. Not a path to awakening. <laughs> not a path to loving kindness and there are all these spurious little paths going nowhere so so let that be a visual reminder to you what is path and not path 
What is path? What, what leads to freedom? What, what doesn't lead to freedom? What is the path? What is not path? Not a path. The investigation can also be applied to the three characteristics. As Anushka talked about beautifully last night, and she was bringing in investigation, invoking, inviting you to investigate the three characteristics, to see the anicca, the arising and passing away, the impermanence in the phenomena, to see the dukkha, to see the unsatisfactoriness, to see the unreliability, even in what is pleasant, that it goes away, it's not reliable. And to see anatta, not self, who am I, what am I? Not expecting an answer, not expecting an answer, but just dropping in the question, what is this, who am I? Also, as a side note, in Samyutta Nikaya 54.13, it said that a conventional manner of understanding panya, wisdom, which actually relates to investigation, because investigation is a support for arising of wisdom. So a conventional manner of understanding panya is in terms of seeing Dhamma in terms of the three characteristics of impermanence, anicca, suffering, dukkha, and not-self, anatta. Dhamma vichaya investigation can be applied to the foundations of mindfulness, the four foundations, as we've been talking about them the first couple of weeks of this retreat. You can apply them to the first foundation, to the sensations, have curiosity about the sensations, about the bare sensations. What is this? You can have bare, you ha- can have curiosity about pain. What is this? It's throbbing. It's heat. It's it's pulling. It's pushing. Just curiosity. What is this? Again, curiosity in a felt sense in the body, lived experience. You can have curiosity about the breath. Feel something new about the breath you've never felt before to bring in that energy. Some of you who have come, uh, whom whom I've met in in, um, practice discussions, and there has been um, a need for balance, to, to balance those factors. I've invited you to notice the eight parts of the breath. Just really notice the beginning of the in-breath, the middle of in-breath, the end of in-breath, the pause between in-breath and out-breath, the middle of out-breath, the middle of the beginning of out-breath, the middle of out-breath, the end of out-breath, the pause between the out-breath and the in-breath. There's a lot of investigation. There's a lot that mind can be curious about. And that is to bring in, bring in that energy. So when the mind kind of loses interest. There's so many skillful ways of applying investigation. This is just one of them. You can apply investigation to Vedana, as we've already talked about. What is this? What, what is this pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? What is this? Is it inherent in the object? Is it separate from the object? What is this? You can apply investigation to the third foundation of mindfulness, to the mind states, to afflictive mind states. What is going on? What is going on here? Why am I angry? Why am I upset? What's going on right here? What is this? From Samyutta Nikaya 46.2. And what bhikkhus is a nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of discrimination of states and for the fulfillment by development of the, of the arisen enlightenment factor of discrimination of states. There are because wholesome and unwholesome states, blamable and blameless states, inferior and superior states, dark and bright states with their counterparts, frequently giving careful attention to them 
is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of discrimination of states and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of discrimination of states. So on this, Bhikkhu Bodhi comments that, again, the function of panya, as we talked about before, wisdom, again, which is closely related, its arising is closely related to investigation. Um, Panya as a factor of, as an enlightenment factor, is not to discern the three characteristics in, in, in this Sutta Nipata, uh, Samyutta Nikaya uh, that, I, uh, that I just shared, but simply to discriminate between the good and bad mental states that become apparent with the deepening of mindfulness. So here, this is the definition. This is another way to see the investigation, just simply to discriminate between good and bad mental states. Mental states we've already talked about. The difficult states, the afflictive states of mind, anger, ill will, wanting, desire, etc. And the higher states of mind, both when those are absent, when these difficult afflictive states are absent, but also the higher mind states of calm, of, of concentration, of equanimity, etc. So just to discriminate between them, just to see what, what is happening. When you apply investigation to higher mind state, you can actually understand and deepen them better. For example, if, if you're in a, in a spacious and calm state of mind, one way is to get really excited about it and the state falls away. How many people have experienced that? And another way is to, ah, rest in it. What is this? What, what, what does this feel like? What does this, this state of spaciousness, calm, or whatever it is, what does it feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the mind? What is present right now? What is absent? Just very light touch of investigation, very light touch. And that light touch actually helps deepen that state. Again, a light touch of investigation so that the mind can understand it better and settle in it better. Also in the third foundation of mindfulness, thought patterns. When repetitive thought patterns come up and just they come over, come up over and over and over again, especially especially when they're difficult mind states. You can't do this, you're no good, a lot of self-judgment coming up, dropping a question, really? Is that so? Is that so? Instead of believing that mind, that repetitive thoughts, those repetitive thoughts, question back, really? Is that so? Just drop that that question in and see what happens. Usually a lot of these repetitive thoughts go unquestioned. That's why they run amok. Nobody ever, we don't ever question them. They just, they take on, they take over the show. Next time, drop in. Is that so? Really, is that so? Don't believe them. Don't believe your thoughts. Can apply investigation to your projections. You can see the projections in the mind. And this particularly comes up with with people that you know, when you've had projections, um, the projections are coming up from the interactions that you've had with them. Instead of meeting them fresh in the moment, there are all these projections. So investigating, investigating, what is going on? With projections, the famous story that Anushka referred to, and so did Philip, is when you see a, a, a rope um, or a stick on the road and you think it's a snake, um, but then when you get closer, it's actually a rope or a stick, but in Philip's case, it actually was a snake. So, um, but, looking, but investigating those, those projections, investigating those perceptions, the perceptions in the mind, questioning them. Is it so? Is it so? 
Something that happens a lot on retreat is emotions. Strong emotions can come up. And emotions spread over the first three satipatthanas, the first three foundations of mindfulness. There is a physical element in an emotion. You feel it physically. That's the body. There is a vedana. There's a feeling tone aspect to emotions, either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, usually pleasant or unpleasant. And then there is a third. They, They also have a... A part of them is in the third satipatthana, which is the mental states. There is, there is a mental state for with emotions associated with them: anger, joy, whatever it is. So you can apply investigation to all three across all three satipatthanas. So investigation is also likened to shining light in a dark room so that we don't bump into things. It illuminates, it clarifies. And I want to say one thing about doubt, actually, at this point, because doubt sometimes can masquerade as investigation, but doubt is not investigation. The energy of doubt is very different. Doubt has this sagging question doubtful, kind of has a cold energy. It it's, doesn't have light. It doesn't feel like the light of wisdom, light of investigation that's trying to really be interested in the answer. Just open. Just, it's, it's not like investigation where you drop in the question and let whatever answer comes up, come, come up. Doubt can have this, this really heavy, murky quality, like sagging, cold, it's like anti-energy. It has anti-energy in it, energy of doubt. Really, is this so? Instead of, ah, is this so? Notice the energy. Notice the energy when the question is asked. So, how to investigate? There is so much to investigate, right? It seems like, wow, okay, she offered just like all these things. Where do I start? Oh my God, my practice was just getting simple, and now she threw all of this out. What do I do? Okay, so what to investigate? There is a directed, there are directed approaches to investigation, and there is indirected, undirected approaches to investigation. So a directed way, which is the way that my teacher, Park Sayadaw, would teach is actually direct me to see specific dhammas, to really investigate very specific dhammas. And also, this has come up on this retreat also. Like we, we invited you one day to investigate Vedana, or sometimes when you come into practice meetings, we invite you, given where your practice is, we ask you to investigate something particular, drop in a particular question, or see what a particular aspect of your experience. That's one way. That's the directed way. The other way is the undirected way. Just dropping the question, what is this? What is going on? When you just drop that question, whenever you're in, in a particular mind state or, or you're experiencing body, you just, you just drop it in. You just drop that feeling of inquiry wherever you are, wherever it seems appropriate, whatever you're investigating, wh- whatever you're being with at the time. So again, it's not so much of an intellectual heady endeavor. I really want to emphasize and clarify that. It's not trying to think about all the links and causes and what is this, trying to figure it out mentally. It's dropping in the question. Just dropping in the question through into your body and heart and mind. And sometimes when your head is busy trying to figure something out, your heart and mind already know the answer. This afternoon, I was trying to decide, should I go for a walk? Should I go for a long walk? Should I this? Should I not? Put, should I put on my boots? And, and then my body just took me out for a walk, and then it took me up the hill. I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I needed. Because previously, it was there. So it's... it's um, when you try to optimize, when you try to figure things out, sometimes 
your heart and mind really know what the answer is. Yeah, right now you need to walk and we're going up the hill. And just I sort of like started to head that way. The story of, of another yogi who, while deciding what to wear, you know, their hand reached for the right sweater and it turned out to be cold, it turned out to be just the right decision. It was just the right, you know, the body knew. It wasn't so much figuring it out. So, if you're in formal meditation or informal in daily life later, Here's my advice, drop, drop in the question, what is this? And wait for what arises. The first layer of answer might be obvious or it might surprise you. This is delight, this is anger, this is disappointment, this is crankiness, this is hunger, this is peace. And treat whatever arises as a visiting guest welcome and acknowledge them. Then drop the second question, then drop the same question again and again and wait for what arises. What is this? What is this? This is stillness, this is joy, this is not knowing or whatever might be alive in that moment for you. Just more visiting guests to acknowledge and greet, whatever they are. And at times the inquiry of what is this might seem too heavy-handed, especially when the mind is really calm, really spacious. At those times you can just drop in what question mark or just drop in question mark and live the question. You can simply feel and witness whatever arises. Know that dropping in the question too heavily, too often, can lead to agitation because the balancing factors, right? You don't want to do it like every two seconds. What is this? What is this? What is this? So be judicious with the arising of factors. Some words from Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves. Like, lock, like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Love the questions live the questions, drop them in. Another beautiful quote I'd like to bring in, this one is from Ta Naisi Coates, who's the senior editor at Atlantic, and he won the MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant in 2015 for his nonfiction book, Between the World and Me, where he talks about growing up in Baltimore as a young Af African-American male. It's a beautiful book. Here's a quote. My mother and father were always pushing me away from secondhand answers even the answers they themselves believed. I don't know that I have ever found any satisfactory answers of my own. But every time I ask it, the question is refined. That is the best of what the old heads meant when they spoke of being politically conscious. As much a series of actions as a state of being, a constant questioning, Questioning as ritual, questioning as exploration, rather than the search for certainty. Here's another quote from Scott Westerfeld. 
Good books make you ask questions. Bad readers want everything answered. And Dharma is definitely a good book. It invites you to come and see for yourself. It, it invites you to ask questions. Ehipasiko, come and see for yourself. Investigate for yourself. See for yourself. John Fowle says, the most important questions in life can never be answered by anyone except oneself. So you're the only one who can investigate, drop in the questions and answer the questions or live the questions. There's a few minutes left, so I'll bring in just a little, give a little nod to the third factor, because virya, translated as energy, persistence, persevering, vigor, effort, enthusiasm, or diligence, they work together investigation and diligence, persistence, virya. I'll just say a few things. I won't say everything I wanted, I, I had planned to say, but just a few things to frame it a little bit. Abhidhamma says, what is virya? It is the mind intent on being active, devoted, unshaken, not turning back, and being indefatigable. It perfects and realizes what is conducive to the positive. One, one um, factor that is conducive to, to effort, to actually, of all the, the ways that it's translated, um, energy is one that we use a lot. I also like enthusiasm, diligence, and perseverance, persistence. There's just the gentle perseverance, this energetic perseverance. And one, one factor that brings that up, and in Abhidhamma it's called the proximate cause, the proximate cause of, of energy is samvega, is a sense of spiritual urgency, as the words, be stirred, she strives wisely. So samvega is a sense of spiritual urgency to reach liberation and escape from suffering and samsara. According to Tinasara Bhikkhu, samvega is the first emotion you're supposed to bring to the training. So the feeling of samvega can actually come up very strongly both when we contemplate suffering and especially when we contemplate death, when we contemplate our death and how limited time we have in this planet, in this body. And it can bring up a sense of spiritual urgency, emergency to, to want to practice. It can perk us up. That's one reason why death contemplation is, is very dear to me and, and, and it's a practice I, I highly recommend to everyone um, at, a, at, at a particular times, de depending on your practice, there are times that is more appropriate. But that can really bring up this feeling of samvega, spiritual emergency. And that can lead to, to virya, this, this energy, this persistence, constant, constancy of effort. William James says, we forget that every good that is worth possessing must be paid for in strokes of daily effort. 
We postpone and postpone until those smiling possibilities are dead. By neglecting the necessary concrete labor, by sparring ourselves the little daily tax, we are positively digging the graves of our higher possibilities. I'd like to end with two little quotes. One is a little poem by Kobayashi Isa. O snail, climb Mount Fuji, but slowly, slowly. And the last is by Confucius. The man who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. Moving mountains here, one moment at a time. Let's just sit together for a moment. May we all love and live the questions with gentle effort and persistence, moment after moment. you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.